Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Welcome to UFOs Above Canada, a nighttime podcast series exploring the people, the events, and the concepts that surround the Canadian UFO experience. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the next installment in Nighttime's UFOs Above Canada discussion series. In tonight's episode, we're going to be joined by science writer and UFO researcher Chris Rutkowski. During the episode, Chris and I are going to discuss a collection of recent Canadian UFO news stories, but most notably, the recently revealed Sky Canada project, which will be the Canadian government's first official research effort into the UFO phenomenon in nearly 30 years. And then, as typical in these episodes, we're going to end with a review of some recent Canadian UFO reports submitted via nighttimepodcast.com. So let's get into it. Here is my discussion with Chris Rutkowski about UFOs above Canada. Mr. Chris Rutkowski, it's been a while since uh, we've had you on the show. So let's start with what have you been up to the last few months? Uh, you've been kind of off the map a little bit, at least online. So I, I know you've been busy with something. What the heck are you well, doing? Well, you know, I retired from the university, so I've been doing a lot more writing. And uh, I'm going through documents, finding more and more all the time. Things. So I'm around. You're, you know, right, but, you're doing uh, your thing. Yeah, I've seen you sharing a lot of UFO reports. Uh, actually, I think just yesterday, or maybe it was even this morning, you had posted one online. When you're monitoring what's going on in the skies above Canada, what does that look like? When you wake up in the morning, you pour a coffee, and you sit down to see if aliens have landed. How does that happen? <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? Well, you know, I, I check the emails, and, uh, you know, if Zorg from uh, Zoltan has sent me something, you know, I'll, I'll uh, report on it. Otherwise, Transport Canada, uh, you know, keeps uh, posting incident reports. I do get, I check you, you because you send me some stuff that uh, that are posted uh, through your site. Uh, mm. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of keeping track of stuff. And I go through the social media to see if there's anything interesting from time to time. Other stuff worth commenting on. And I do some of that. Um, I'm also uh, involved with the Galileo project with uh, Avi Loeb. So there's a daily post from that. Uh, some discussion online. As a matter of fact, I'm part of a subgroup that's uh, looking at uh, uh, trying to identify UFO hotspots around the world based mm. on uh, case reports. I'm also part of the Enigma Project <laughs> uh, and uh, speaking with people there. So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that people don't realize uh, because it's uh, it's not always in the public uh, uh, sector, mm -hmm. but uh, there, there's stuff going on that's very interesting and it's uh, it's worth keeping track of. So when you say you retired, you probably use air quotes. I'm retired because <laughs> you see you, what you do in your free time sure seems to kind of rub, rub elbows with what you've done professionally at a university and stuff. So it's not a big departure from what you were doing. No, I, in fact, I have more time to do all the uh, the UFO stuff now. There's no question of that. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm I'm downsizing in some ways, and I've given uh, the uh, a lot of my stuff to archives through donations to the uh, uh, the UFOs in Canada archives. Uh, I'm still finding stuff that I'm going to be donating. I'm going through a lot of my documents now, putting them in order so I can donate even more. Uh, UFO documents uh, and getting them scanned and so forth. So there's there's stuff that's being done all the time. Hmm. Uh, 
that leads me to the first topic I want to discuss with you. And when I, when I brought you here today, there's I kind of have like a collection of UFO related news and stories and updates that I want to get an expert opinion on. And I really don't know anyone whose opinion I trust as highly as yours. But <laughs> this first one, uh, I think is interesting because this seems to be maybe the Canadian government's way of I don't know, maybe taking back some of the work that you've been doing or that they've had you doing over the last several years. Uh, I'll play a short news article, which will tell the story. But in essence, it sounds like the Canadian government's going to get into, again, doing a lot of the work you've been doing, tracking and monitoring the skies above Canada and the reports of unidentified objects within them. Here's the news clip and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. Well, Canada has launched the Sky Canada Project, a study plan to collect information to document rare natural phenomena. It's the first known official Canadian UFO research effort in nearly 30 years. The first official study into sort of potential UFOs or uh, whatever they're calling them now. Aerial uh, phenomena. What does that UFOs. mean? Right? Yeah, let's call them UFOs. Yeah. I like that better. Everyone knows what we're talking exactly. about at that point. So it's no secret that... Uh, the Canadian government may not have officially been investigating UFO reports, but they seem to dabble in it a bit. But I think a lot of the actual work fell on the arms and shoulders of uh, yourself and some of the colleagues at Ufology Research uh, by way of your annual UFO survey. Uh, now that the Canadian government has announced they're working on this report called the Sky Canada Project, what does that mean for what you do? Well, it's a good question. Um... Uh, I mean, Sky Canada is not actually going to be investigating UFOs. Um, what they're doing is trying to understand what's being done about UFOs currently in Canada. Mm. Um, and, you know, in what department? Like, is it Transport Canada? Is it Nav Canada? Is it RCMP? Is it the uh, Canadian Forces? Is it individual bases? You know, wh who exactly is doing stuff? Uh, in fact, uh, they have a they put out a, a deck of uh, PowerPoint notes, and one of the mm -hmm. first questions was how many UAP observations are reported in Canada each year. Well, that comes directly from the Ufology Research Canadian <laughs> UFO Survey. So a lot of the stuff that that they're asking about comes directly from um, myself and my research and my, my colleagues. So hopefully they'll be in touch with uh, with us. I, I, the impression is that they're going to. Um, uh, ask you know who whom are witnesses contacting is one of the questions they're uh, they're asking and where are UAP UAP observations reported? Well, a lot of that comes through us. A lot of that comes through you through the uh, the the Facebook page and and your website that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So you know a lot of the stuff can be answered simply by looking what's already available. Mm -hmm. If uh, the Sky Canada Project people are listening. You know, send me an email. Give me a call. I can <laughs> help you in your research. And you know, the government has uh, contacted me and worked with me in the past. So maybe they'll uh, contact me for this. I mean, I think their preliminary draft is due uh, this fall. So uh, the time's mm -hmm. running out. Yeah, a preliminary draft in the fall with the final report, winter or spring of 2024. But yeah, just as you, as you suggest there, it's if they want to investigate this and learn how people are reporting it and such. Yeah, it seems like a phone call to Chris Rutkowski is going to make uh, <laughs> give them some quick work. Uh, yeah, yes. the, give them at least a good head start. Um, Save them but, some time, yeah. But And as you mentioned, Scott, the Sky Canada Project isn't looking at actually going out and investigating these. It's more looking at, again, how they're being reported, how many, where they're coming from, what methods are being used to report it. An interest in the government having an interest in those aspects of it, does that maybe tell us that in the future, there may be some kind of like 
coded process or a more organized way that the government will be able to receive and collect these reports if they're looking at them? Just as an example, if they're studying, you know, a certain intersection in the city, that's probably to tell you that, uh, you know, in a year, they're going to change the way the lights work at that intersection or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one would think that they want to come up with policy. As a matter of fact, um, I, as you know, I, I still get reports from time to time from National Defense. And I hadn't got any for some time. And I got one just a month or two ago. And uh, a company in the email was a comment that, you know, we're not sure whether we're still supposed to be sending these to you because policy is going to be changing, but here's a report. Uh. So that's coming. There's no question of that. Um, but the idea, I, part of the idea from Sky Canada too, is that with the interest in the United States, they wanted to have Canada have uh, a seat at the table, obviously. Uh, we are partnered with NORAD so that we are involved in this. Um, so, you know, Canada's contribution might be, you know, let's come up with a, a procedure or a policy for doing this. I was poking around Transport Canada's uh, documents that I had uh, found a number of years ago, and they actually have a policy, a very, very detailed policy on what to do about um, if, if things fall from the sky. Now, one could sort of, you know, put that as UFOs, um, but they're talking in terms of, you know, a you know, blue ice or whatever that falls mm -hmm. off airliners from time to time. You've heard about that or mm -hmm. an aircraft engine cowling falls off or something, in fact, crashes. Um, what do you, there's actually a, a, a very long, long protocol uh, and even a flow chart of what to do if something does fall from the sky. And they're talking not just planes, but pieces of helicopters. Um, certainly meteorites would would be part of that, I think, although it's not explicit in the in the policy. So there are some policies on this already um, that exist, but you know maybe they want to refine this a little bit more and expand it. Mm, interesting. Now you, you mentioned that the Canadian government may be kind of getting their ducks in a row in terms of how they handle and collect UFO reports, possibly as a way to get a seat uh, to get a seat at the table with other national, uh, other you know, international partners. Um, the United States seems to be quite a few steps ahead of Canada in terms of looking at the UFO issue. Just, I think maybe just three weeks or so ago, there were hearings in the United States regarding UFOs. What, what, what's going on there? What's the status of the American investigation into the UFO well, in fact, question? Uh, yeah, yeah. In fact, sooner than, uh, more recently than that, uh, Sean Kirkpatrick of the uh, AARO uh, office uh, that's looking into the UFO question uh, gave a presentation. And a lot of UFO fans were, you know, all over this. They were saying, oh, wow, the government's gonna finally, you know, give disclosure, because we know this is all happening. And, uh, and then he gave the presentation and basically said, you know, there's no evidence that, you know, aliens are involved at all. And of course, everybody on the UFO fans were saying, oh, oh shit, <laughs> trust the government, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's really you got the great paradox that, you know, they, they, they believe the government's going to, you know, uh, come clean with the, the disclosure. And then as soon as they, they say no, it's obviously they're trying to cover it up. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Uh, what a, what but... a rotten relationship uh, UFO <laughs> disclosure proponents have with their government. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, um, there are some interesting things that that he reported on, for example, um, the number of cases, uh, they're on uh, 650 now, uh, that uh, that they're looking at. Um, there, uh, he gave a detailed breakdown, in, you know, somewhat detailed breakdown in the types of things that are being reported, you know, the, you know how many discs, how many balloons, how many this, how many that. And I, I'll ref, I'll defer to the Canadian UFO survey because the breakdown of the types of shapes, for example, 
uh, is given every year by the Canadian UFO Survey. So there's a lot of consistency there. The um, the, uh, the earlier United States Air Force uh, Blue Book and and uh, sign and grudge and so forth, they had a breakdown of how many cases are, uh, you know, uh, you know, unexplained and insufficient information versus astronomical and so forth. We didn't get enough information though from him on how many cases are explained as astronomical objects, how many cases are explained as some kind of aircraft. Um, and I think what the, what he was saying is that they don't have a, there's a very small percentage of cases that, you know, don't seem to fall into any easy uh, category. Uh, but there's a lot of cases that are what I would describe as insufficient information. And he sort of alluded to that. And these are cases where you can't actually say what, what the object was, but you have a pretty good idea. So to some people, that's called unexplained. Um, but that's more insufficient information. Unexplained to me means you've gone through all the possible explanations and there is no way that it would categorize as, as anything uh, simple. And that to me would, would be, you know, could be unexplained. But uh, the insufficients are, are quite significant. It's like saying that, you know, you're standing on a corner and you see a car drive through an intersection and hit somebody uh, as a hit and run and takes off. Well, you know, you witnessed something, but maybe you didn't get the license plate. You don't remember the model of the car. You, the color sort of escapes you. You certainly didn't see who was driving. And you may have not even noticed what direction it was going or how fast it was going. But you witnessed something. And that's kind of the, uh, the, the best case scenario of a lot of UFO and UAP cases. People have seen something, but we don't necessarily have the full explanation or, you know, can pin down exactly what was seen. Maybe it was a drone. Maybe it was a balloon, maybe it was something else, but we're, we do know that something we're seeing. I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention. Tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity oddities of harrowing human experience it's a museum of misadventure so pack a lunch subscribe to marooned wherever you find podcasts we are waiting please hurry thank you i'm samantha cole host of the new season of understood the Pornhub empire over the course of four episodes i'll tell you how a horny youtube knockoff in canada came to dominate the porn world only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. The American government, again, is um, charging forward with their interest and investigation and at least discussion um, in an official capacity of the issue. It, a lot of this seems to have been ramped up as a result of the whole situation with the balloons being shot down, uh, I think probably three or four months ago, there was a, it was all over the news, a string of balloons shot down across the United States and Canada. Um, that story has largely disappeared. I'm, I'm going to play one new, one more news clip, and this is one of the last mainstream news reports about the balloons being shot down. Uh, this is a CBC clip where they're questioning 
will the balloon shot down over Canada, I think over the Yukon, will that be found and identified? So here's the clip and then we'll t talk about where this story is at this point. The conditions are brutal, but the hunt for debris in the Yukon continues. Military planes from across the country are joining the search, an urgent push for answers at a time when little is known. Obviously, there is some sort of pattern in there. The fact that we are seeing this uh, in a significant degree over the past week uh, is a cause for uh, interest. All three of the unidentified flying objects shot down since Friday have similarities. They all seem to float and had no known propulsion system. The objects were unmanned and they were located at altitudes that posed a danger to civil aviation. That's much lower than the Chinese spy balloon. Since its discovery, NORAD has intensified how it monitors radar, which may partially explain the sudden surge in sightings. One of the reasons that we think we're seeing more is because we're looking for more. Fighter jets were scrambled to shoot down all three objects. The first in Alaska on Friday, landing on dangerous ice. An object was then taken down over the Yukon on Saturday. The search area near Dawson City covers some 3,000 square kilometers. And we now know the third was actually first detected over southern Alberta before it was picked up over Montana on Saturday night. By the time it was shot down over Lake Huron on Sunday, it had crossed over at least one sensitive U.S. military site. As speculation about their origins runs rampant, there's one theory intelligence leaders are trying to shut down. I don't think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these craft, period. I don't think there's any... Okay, Katie, we don't have to worry about aliens, but what more are you hearing from your sources? Well, the real sense I get, Ian, is that truly they don't know where these things are from. So that news story kind of brings us up to speed as of several months ago. But that, that story, as I said, seems to have kind of faded away. Where, where mm -hmm. is that? Where, where did it go? And have these objects been identified officially that you're aware of? Well, uh, not, a, not officially that I'm aware of, but we have to keep in mind that the search for these things uh, is, is very, very difficult, not just because of where they were, but because of what happened to them. Um, the objects that were shot down um, by the American uh, jets uh, were shot down by Sidewinder missiles. Now, Sidewinder missiles are six to eight feet, you know, uh, 10 feet long, that type of thing. And the objects themselves uh, were probably of the order of 10, 20 feet wide, that type of thing. Um, and when you shoot a Sidewinder missile at something that, you know, is probably balloon-like, mm. um, it pretty well, you know vaporizes it yeah, you shoot, so, shoot a rocket at a tent in the yeah, sky you're, you're not gonna yeah you're not gonna get too much debris at all mm -hmm. um so i i don't think there's any, there's much hope of, of finding too much there uh, the the main one the chinese one that was shot down over the uh the atlantic that's you know that's different in fact they've recovered a lot of that that there um and as far as the balloons go uh not only had it been detected some of the balloons have been detected uh you know flying over alberta but in our uh in a canadian ufo survey we recorded uh several uh earlier observations in 2022 for example of pilots seeing you know uh basically the chinese spy balloon wow. last fall even or a, a, you know a, a one related to it uh so we've had a lot of cases like that the reason they hadn't been you know taken much notice by norad uh is that um, because they were slow moving 
and they you know weren't the type of thing that you were looking for norad's looking for missiles for the most part uh aircraft that are you know a, you know targeting and they're moving fairly fast so a slow moving object is really not part of that uh in fact it's actually uh uh, sort of an outlier that's uh, that's taken out of the equation of on the screens that uh, they're looking at. But now that they're paying more attention to it, they're finding more, and that's how they found these additional balloons. And, you know, we actually still do get the occasional report of a balloon that's filed with Transport Canada and others. So, you know, the, these are still going to be noted, um, but, uh, you know, that I think different tactics have to be used by the people using them and by the people detecting them. Certainly. Uh, well, speaking of reports and uh, weird things being seen in the sky, I have a few I want to talk through with you. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with both of these that I have, because for one, they've both been in the news. But also, uh, it seems like when it happened, every UFO group on social media had some reference to these. The first one was a object uh, seen above eastern Canada and some parts of the eastern United States the weekend of April 8th. I'm going to read you a short article here, and uh, I'm, I'm sure this has come, come across your desk. So... Social media lit up this weekend when dozens of New Brunswickers shared reports of a fireball or shiny object falling out of the sky. Witnesses claimed they saw a fast-moving ball of fire with a tail or civil uh, or sil or silver object, and others saying they heard or felt a loud boom. Reports of eyewitnesses have mainly come from New Brunswick, but also have come from as far south as Washington County in Maine. Sean Hamilton of, Link of Lincoln, New Brunswick, says he was out on his tractor at 1 p.m. on Saturday. What I saw was a metallic-like reflection, said Hamilton. It had a tail on it, which was also metallic and white. It was amazing to see, and it was large for sure. Hamilton said the object moved quickly and was visible only for a few moments. Uh, he said minutes later, he heard a loud boom. Chris Kerwin, an amateur astronomer in St. John, says it's hard to know what happened. There's hundreds of tons of space stuff that falls out of the sky every day, thousands of fireballs every day. Kerwin said it's rare to actually see the debris fall out of the sky because most of it falls in the ocean or in unpopulated areas. He said it's even more unusual to catch a glimpse of, said, of falling objects in broad daylight. So that one, I'm, I'm sure you've seen people, you know, discussing this online. I think what I read there was from a CBC article. When I read it, although there was no good images of the object that all these people have seen, but when I read it, seeing something fall from the sky, would it not be weird to see it as like a silver metallic object with a tail, hear a loud boom? Like it just sounds a bit more fantastic than, you know, just space junk falling from the sky. Yeah, it does uh, sound, uh, you know, a little more spectacular. Um, but of course, uh, people interpret things differently. In mm -hmm. fact, the uh, the UFO report that I posted uh, this morning or and last night um, is probably the same object. Oh. Uh, it occurred uh, on uh, April 9th. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this is the way the witness described it. A citizen uh, of Bois-Franc near Tetford Mines observed an object moving from north to south over Maine, same area. Mm -hmm. The object approached and had two lights, one red and one blue, which were not flashing. At arm's length, the object was the size of a thumb. It moved away at a tremendous speed. I think this, there's, it's safe to say that this was, in fact, you know, related to the, uh, you know, the fireball that everybody else had seen. Same area, same, you know, same day, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, fireballs look very spectacular. Um, and uh they've often been described as things like 
they look like a plane on fire crashing just over the next hill. Uh, <laughs> that'll catch your attention. Com- yeah, that's that's a very common uh, thing. And of course, this leads to all sorts of things about things crashing into the ocean and, and so forth. Um, in fact, I've, I've had a number of reports of objects that uh, uh, seem to have been crashing into the ocean. In fact, something was reported over Prince Edward Island in 2018, um, where a witness reported uh, seeing something crashing into the ocean mm. and uh, that fire departments and, and other rescue crews were, crews were called uh, to the site and couldn't find anything. This was uh, investigated by National Defense, taken very, very seriously. And, you know, nothing was found. And I suspect what happened was that the witness saw this thing coming down in the direction of the ocean and assumed that something crashed into the ocean. And this has a lot of bearing on, for example, Shag Harbor. Yeah, it sounds like that's what you're describing. It sounds very, very similar to that. Um, but it just shows you that things are always being reported crashing down. And, you know, whether there's things, you know, in case of the, the thing that was uh, that may be a chunk of uh, space debris or a, a, a meteor, with a fireball with a possible meteorite that they're asking the public help in trying to locate on the ground. Um you know, it shows that there's a concerted effort in trying to track these things down that are that are coming uh, into Earth's atmosphere and and falling under the ground. But there's, you know, there's it's scientific interest. Uh, you know, you know, sort of you know, all sorts of ways that we can uh, analyze what's happening, plot the trajectory, and so forth. Uh, so these are things that are being reported all the time, and I think they're worth studying. Hmm. Uh, an interesting case, and I I enjoy seeing. Um like a, a specific event like this blow up online and this one did even in the facebook uh, the ufos above canada facebook group that i moderate it was um a lot of people from new brunswick were talking about this event but the event in new brunswick and the online discussion that surrounds it pales in comparison to the next one this also happened this month this uh occurred on april 17th people um who look at ufo stuff online have likely saw the photo of a very obvious like spiral like shape in the sky that uh, quite bluntly just it looks like a photoshop it does not look Mm -hmm. real it's so vivid this spiral um this was seen over northern canada and northern united states yukon and northwest territories primarily and uh, i saw both photos of this object this spiral like object in the sky as well as video where the spiral is just moving across the sky being backdropped by the aurora borealis so it is Mm. quite a like a science fiction looking scene um two of the witnesses uh canadians who filmed it uh but from the northwest territories were interviewed briefly on cbc here's what they said and then we'll we'll talk about it okay am i actually seeing this so we were driving down the dempster highway and uh Talia was just getting some rest and I noticed just a blue swirl cyclone in the sky. I thought it was actually kind of tripping out a little bit. I mean, we can get beamed up to another galaxy or something. And so Paul woke me up and I just sort of like immediately just stood and stared out at this orb in the sky. Um, and we were both like, what is happening? Is this a UFO? Um, what is going on right now? Somebody figured out that about two hours before we saw that there was a this SpaceX launch. And so I, I think what we're seeing is is typically they will do a, a deorbit burn or or and dump their fuel. The rocket was probably spinning when they did that. So you get that sort of swirly effect, sort of like a, a lawn sprinkler. 
like it was just magical absolutely magical just because like you're surrounded by like the patagonia of canada this out of worldly experience yeah it was, it was pretty special so that explanation the fuel dump as it's all twisting the fuel comes out turns to ice crystals and turns into what is described as a once in a lifetime moment very very rare they saw it an expert believed it was the result of like a fuel dump from a spacex launch does what does that mean to you yeah in fact that ha we we have many uh um videos like that that have been uh, produced over the past few years number of years um it's true it's, it's a fuel dump um, and what happens is that uh, the, the the booster is spinning and as it's spinning it's uh, venting fuel and uh you know it, you can actually you know see that and you can actually see the progression of it uh, if you're watching it over a length of time uh, very spectacular and especially like you say during uh, the northern lights it's uh uh it, it's uh you know truly magical as he says oh, so yeah. you know there we do get reports like that interesting she said it was an orb mm -hmm. um and you get that description of orbs all the time and whenever i hear orb i'm thinking that's not what you're seeing <laughs> yeah you're not yeah. sure it's around um and but it's it's something that's spectacular and people just sort of assume that uh, that's what the shape was yeah when, when you look at that spiral like object though I, I don't know how i would describe it if i if i didn't see photos if i was just driving down the street and saw something like that and called you to tell you about it i don't know uh how i would describe it i could see like the word orb it's vague enough that it's like yeah i guess it was an orb but a it's portal. A, a, a portal a, i clearly saw a portal to another dimension yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but i i saw a lot of photos and videos of that going around and almost unanimously it was that's obviously fake that's a photoshop that's yeah. fake or people yeah. being like this is the evidence we've been looking for um very few people saying it may have been a spacex fuel dump yeah that's true. And, but it's interesting, though, how many people saw it and got video or photos and reported it. Mm. And what that says to me is that when somebody sees a UFO and gets a photo or reports it, they're not making it up. You know, we mm. sometimes hear from debunkers and skeptics, oh, if somebody sees a UFO and it's, you know, quite a spectacular story, oh, they're just making it up. They're, they're drunk or they're just pulling your leg. They're in it for the money. But over and over again, we get very, very few reports at the end of the year when we're doing our analyses that turn out to be hoaxes. People uh, sincerely see things and report them. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, in the, many cases, they're misidentifications, but they're not making it up. There are spectacular things in the sky that are worth seeing. Earlier, a number of months ago, we had Venus and Jupiter together in the sky, these two dots, bright dots that were together, and people were saying, you know, that can't possibly be real, but it was, but they reported it. So, um, you know, it, it, I, I think that, uh, you know, when we do get reports, uh, you know, people are seeing things and they really want somebody to, to listen to them. And that's our job, really, as uh, investigators and researchers in this area. And you're in a particularly good position as that with your show and whatnot, that, you know, we listen to people who have these experiences uh, because they're they're spectacular they are very very personal and uh they you know maybe they change people's lives in the sense that it makes them appreciate the universe a little bit more or appreciate how small we are compared mm -hmm. to some of the, the the universe so i think it's important that we take these things seriously and that's what's being done by sky canada and you know other organizations galileo project and enigma and certainly what's going on in the united states with the aaro uh, that they are being taken seriously and in the case of the aro 
they're encouraging people to report them um, and not fear, uh, you know, any ridicule and uh, stigma uh, from it. That they're saying, okay, we want to listen to you. We promise there won't be any repercussions. Uh, let's hear what you're, you're, you've seen. So there's a lot of that going on, and that's an interesting change in ufology too. Speaking of people coming forward with reports, as you mentioned earlier, I, I receive a lot of reports through the the reporting tool on my website, nighttimepodcast.com, that I pass along to you. I chose two or three reports that I have at my fingertips here that we got over the last few months. I want to read them to you and see if we can't solve it tonight and save the Canadian okay. government some trouble. This first one, um, come, it, it's a, a sighting in August of 2022, so it's about six months ago eight months ago. Listen to this. I was walking back to my family's campfire towards the end of summer when I looked up at the sky. There was no re real reason I looked up. It was just that weird time in the evening when the sun was out, but some of the stars could be seen. I was admiring the sky when a fast moving object caught my eye. I was confused as I looked around to see what it was when it moved again. It was a small ball of light just bigger than some of the stars, and it was moving in a sort of zigzag pattern in between the spaces where there weren't stars. At first, I thought it was a plane or a jet as my host is under the flight path, but when there was no flashing lights, as you see with planes, or any trail when it moved, and the way it darted from place to place, pausing for a few seconds after it moved, it couldn't have been a plane or a jet. As I watched it, confused, it eventually kept moving east until it hit the tree line and disappeared out of sight. I asked my family if they saw anything, but they all said no, and that it was probably just a plane or, or the reflection on a bird. My grandfather even suggested I was crazy as a goat. I couldn't say that something happened after, um, afterwards, but the dogs were on edge and our neighbors lost livestock that weekend, but nothing happened after. Um, the dogs seemed calm within the week, within a week after, and no one else in my small town saw anything and I never saw anything like it again. It could have been a plane, but I can't forget the way it moved zigzagging so fast and then blink and then I blinked and it was gone. So that's pretty uh, like there are some intense moments in there, but mm -hmm. I think you see an object moving through the sky. There's a, a million things it could be, but very few things in the sky will zigzag. Yeah. And we get these from time to time. And uh, those are some of the most uh, perplexing uh, reports that we do get lights in the sky that don't move in a nice straight line. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes uh, if you see one moving and then uh, it seems to go up, Rather than continue, that's a matter of, you know, um, one satellite going into the Earth's shadow and the other one coming out of it. This one, if it's zigzagging, that's a little more complicated. Um, the, the possibility of, you know, lights on uh, on birds or something like that. There have been cases where uh, flocks of birds uh, have been passing overhead and uh, um, because the light's shining on their white underbellies and whatever, uh, it, they can seem to be moving irregularly. I don't know if that was this case. The other possibility, you know, um, you know, drones, and you know, you can conjure up all sorts of these ideas. But those are some of the more perplexing cases, and uh, you know, they don't seem to have an easy explanation. Uh, and they, they're the ones that keep everybody interested. Okay, let's let's try this one. This is uh, from North Perth, Ontario, March twenty sixth. So just uh, just one month ago, uh, very early in the morning, about five forty five a.m. I was returning to my house after loading my outdoor furnace when I noticed unusual lights to the southwest. 
I first dismissed it as a typical aerosol, aerosol application, but there was no sound and it was too low at 3,000 meters for, the, uh, for those jets. For about four minutes, I watched it glide towards me, pass over and drift off into the northeast to east. It was a long tube-like object that reminded me of a fabric coverall building with lights illuminating through from the inside. The dimensions were odd as it reminded me of a fluorescent four-foot light tube, but it was possibly five meters across and 250 meters long. It didn't glow like a light bulb, but there were a sporadic interior lights at various locations that illuminated through the shell of the floating object in the dark sky. It reminded me of the bright white Zeppelin-like object that I had seen on January 14th, although both objects were much longer than a Zeppelin. So when I hear that, it sounds like they're describing what I would call like a Zeppelin, like kind of like the hot air balloon kind of thing with a space, you know, living space inside. What was it? One of them blew up, you know, in spectacular fashion on TV years and years ago. <laughs> I don't know what the right word for those things are, but that's what it sounds like he's describing. What do you make of this? Well, I think it's very likely it's Starlink. Uh, that's what Starlink looks like uh, relatively shortly after deployment, like a long tube that has some lights on the inside and then, you know, passing right overhead. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, we get those quite a bit now. Uh, I don't know how many thousands that they have uh, up in the, in the sky right now, but they keep shipping more up there. Yeah. And the fact that we've had booster rockets and so forth uh, dumping. Yeah. If, it, if it was like a cloudy, foggy night um, and you see Starlink, would there be enough light reflecting off of the Starlink satellites to kind of like um, illuminate some of the moisture in the air around them? Like, because he's describing it looking like a tube. I'm wondering if what he could be seeing is what he's describing as the actual lights could be the Starlink satellites. And what he sees as the tube could possibly just be like some of the illuminated air or sky or moisture around the satellites is that possible well, no actually what happens when all the satellites are bunched together and they, they take a while to spread out um they look like a tube in fact that's one of the most common uh, descriptions of starlink it actually takes a while for them to spread out into individual satellites so shortly after deployment uh, and they often are described as a long fluorescent tube uh, and i and i have actually seen that myself so uh, you know, this is actually uh, fairly common and they look really weird, uh, but that just shows you, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the sky. And that's why we have to keep a, uh, an eye out what's going on in the sky, because, you know, there's there's some cool stuff up there. Uh, this will be the last report. And this one screams Starlink to me, but let's see what you think. This is from North Thompson Valley, British Columbia, the 8th of April. So right around the same time as the incident we saw or we, we discussed earlier being reported in New Brunswick and Maine, but this is in British Columbia. It's at 3.15 a.m. So the witness says, I saw three white triangles in a row moving at an incredible speed, very high up, flying west to east with no sound or, or, or without any obvious lights. When I first caught the movement in my right peripheral vision, I moved my eyes and they were already almost above me. I jumped up and pointed and they were already to the east. My son barely had time to catch a glimpse. I cannot say they were white, but they looked dimly illuminated or reflecting, not bright against the night sky. They appeared so close together and moving at the exact same speed as they silently passed overhead. So in hearing that, it seems like whatever they saw was very quick. They see it by the uh, to their right, 
by the time they see it, it's already realize what they're seeing. It's already above them. And by the time they get, you know, point and get their son's attention, who's next to them, it's to the other, you know, passing off to their left. So it sounds like the speed of like a shooting star or something, but mm -hmm. that doesn't, that's not what it sounds like with three kind of triangle shapes passing by. What do you make yeah, of this? And, and it doesn't sound like Starlink because the Starlink wouldn't move quite that fast. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the, but this description um shows and highlights some of the problems there is that, that we have with dealing with witness reports three triangles does that mean that they were like tiny little triangles mm -hmm. together one after another were they fairly large um uh, you know were they how could you see all three sides and the three points um uh and were they sort of oblique you know were they face on you know I, I like to know more about what was seen and you know that's the problem we need to have more information and this is mm -hmm. one case i think we'd like to have more information about what was actually seen mm -hmm. yeah and something that fast i i've seen like shooting stars and stuff and before i can even really get my head around what's going on it's already out of sight and that's what it sounds like but she's clear enough that it was three and she's specific or i'm assuming it's a female they're specific enough to say that they're triangle shaped so mm -hmm. i don't know yeah, for, for them to it's a unique description that's quite interesting yeah all right well we'll we'll leave that as how would you classify it at this point is that unsolved or, or I, insufficient I say, information yeah I, I, it might be insufficient information at this point yeah okay all right well we'll start wrap start wrapping this up chris i expect the sky canada project is going to give people like you and i a lot to discuss over the next several months as they hopefully release their draft and the final report next year. Is there anything on the horizon, pardon the pun, that you're looking forward to or paying attention to? Well, you know, there's a couple of things happening. I mentioned I'm with the Galileo Project and uh, the expedition to New Guinea uh, to search for this Oumuamua um, uh, asteroid or whatever it was that crashed into the ocean uh, is happening within the next uh, couple of months. I know... Uh, that people are uh, you know interested to see what is dredged up from the ocean floor with that um that there's a canadian um version of a scientific analysis called istsu um which is a scientific uh, organization composed of scientists in canada and actually internationally um but it's based here in canada of scientists looking into uh, ufos there's a, a there's conferences coming up i know Galileo has a project, has a conference this uh, this year. Itsu has a project that's coming up. Uh, I, I think uh, you know there's also probably going to be another report from the AARO that's going to be produced. So I think this is an interesting time to uh, you know to see what's happening with regard to UFOs and UAP. Uh, you know it is interesting that the hearing where Sean Kirkpatrick from AARO gave his presentation recently. Uh, it was very poorly attended. There was hardly mm -hmm. anybody in the room. I think maybe there was maybe a half dozen or so uh, in the audience. Of course, there had been a classified briefing before, so that's why a lot, not a lot of Congress people were uh, were there. But it just shows you that the interest is not as strong as it um, as it uh, you know it used to be. There's a lot of claims that are being produced. Uh, I know that, you know, uh, from from some of the stuff that's posted on Twitter and Facebook, uh, experts are saying that the U.S. definitely has reverse engineered technology from aliens, alien artifacts that they're you know definitely detected. There's better videos. There's there's definite concrete proof that the aliens are here. 
And yet from the AARO, you have Sean Kirkpatrick saying, yeah, we don't really have the data. <laughs> to a couple, to a dozen people. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, that's a shame. Well, we'll see where it goes, but there's, with this topic, there's never a lack of things to talk about. There's always something happening. And there's always this, this, uh, this vague battle for information from the government, which is in some ways a delight to watch, but also quite frustrating at times. Hopefully when Canada gets the ball rolling on the Sky Canada project, it plays out differently than what we're seeing in the U.S. Absolutely. And there's still a lot of information that's being produced. And, you know, in our deep dive into documents, we're finding more and more interesting information. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I think people just need to be patient. But patience is, uh, is something that's not uh, in a great abundance in this field. So mm -hmm. it's important to get the scientific data out there. I want to thank you for joining Chris Rutkowski and I for our discussion. Now let me start wrapping this up, but before I do, I'm going to end with thanks. First, a big thanks to Chris for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A shout out to Monty Data, who contributes the music for this episode. And lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you to every one of you who are listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, Nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping this show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, the best way to pitch in is by listening on the premium feed, which not only funds the creation of the show, it'll give you many more episodes than you'll find here on the free feed. It'll give them to you ad-free and two days early. Now, on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers. Emma, Kay, and Paul, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who's not already listening there, you can go premium at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. One last thing before we wrap up, if anyone listening has any story ideas, wants to give feedback on the show, or would like to contribute a voice memo to be aired and responded to in an upcoming episode, you can reach me at nighttimepodcast.com. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Her name is Elsbeth. Elsbeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elsbeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.